All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank each of you for listening to this show. And I would invite you also to keep your questions and comments coming to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. And I would like you also to uh, in, invite you to follow me on Twitter. My handle there is jtaylormedia. We do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Avino Silver and Gold Mines, RN Resources, Dynacore Gold Mines, and Kalinex Resources. Well, I've titled today's show, The Gold Standard is Here Again. Now, you may be wondering if I'm smoking some illegal substance given that title, You know, politicians can try to manipulate markets and they can try to repeal the laws of nature. And sometimes it may may seem as though they are almost succeeding in that regard, at least within the time frame it takes for them to get reelected. But longer term, the laws of nature and nature's markets do prevail. When the good Lord created the universe, here on his little green earth, he endowed us with gold and silver. Gold especially was created for us to use as an honest store of value, an honest medium of exchange. Gold has certain properties that caused it to be chosen by rational human beings as money. Now, politicians have tried to suppress the use of gold in favor of their debt-based immoral fiat money so that they could reallocate wealth to their friends and buy votes. They do this, of course, by creating endless amounts of this money out of thin air. But that has not changed the attributes of gold, and so now, using modern technology, James Turk and Roy Sabog have come together to restore the use of gold as money. In fact, Gold Money, which is now a public company, has put in place a gold-based payment system that is, in my view, superior to PayPal. Roy Sabog will be with me in a few minutes to talk about why gold money is set to revolutionize the global payment system by combining modern technology with the attributes of gold, uh, those attributes having not changed since the beginning of time. Well, I love gold money both as a user of the system and as an investor in the stock. The stock, which trades in Canada under the symbol XAU, can also be purchased in the United States under the symbol BTGDF. BTGDF. In the United States money, uh, BitGold, or gold money actually, as its uh, proper name, its uh, official name is, 
uh, was selling at $2.67 earlier today, and the company's first analyst report that was just published this past week is setting a price target of Canadian $7.50 by September of this uh, of 2016, and a price target of $22 by September 2017. Indeed, the company is having great success in uh, in lining up customers and getting people to use their first prepaid MasterCard that is uh, denominated in grams of gold. Now, to help us consider where the various markets may be headed much sooner than September of 2017, Michael Oliver is set to join us as soon as we come back from our first commercial break. Michael has some very interesting insights into the commodity markets, which is one of the two sectors that he thinks is poised for a turn to the upside. Um, There are a couple of others. We talked to Michael in the past about his uh, plate tectonics uh, in the financial financial markets, and uh, he sees a couple of markets heading much further south. Uh, turning south and heading very far to the south and a couple of others that are heading north and one of those I believe he thinks is ready for a major turn is the the commodity are the commodity markets in general some will go ahead of others of course but gold and silver he's he's very high on uh, as well but in, in any event uh, Michael has some new th- comments today on the commodity markets so don't go away we'll be right back with Michael Oliver Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at DynacorGold. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a diversified, low-cost producer with operations in Mexico and Canada. Avino is growth-oriented and recently completed a major expansion at its Mexican operation and is on pace to double output in 2015. Avino recently partnered with Samsung CNT and is now an official metal supplier to one of the world's largest manufacturers of consumer electronics and builder of some of the most prolific engineering projects worldwide. Avino's shares are listed on the NYSE market and the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ASM. If you want a silver lining in your portfolio, think of Eno. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor 
at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me once again my friend, Michael Oliver. Welcome, Michael, and thanks for joining me again. I'm glad to be back. Always good to talk to you. Uh, before we begin our discussion, let me just remind my listeners that uh, in order to follow Michael's work and to learn more about it and learn how they can partake of it on a more regular basis than just once in a while on this show. Well, we usually try to get Michael every week if we can, but every other week or so he's here. But to uh, partake of his many, many missives that he sends out on many different markets, go to OliverMSA.com. There you can learn how you can partake of his of his wisdom and and Michael's been around has done a great job for many years uh, and now is sharing some of his wisdom and insights with us so I want to ask you Michael you put out this morning a very interesting report uh, titled watch base metal sector for signs of end to commodity deflation and and you cited two major mining company stocks in particular to keep your eyes on those two were Rio Tinto and BHP Billiton what is the what is the price and momentum action uh, telling you about those two stocks and, and what might it mean uh, in terms of a turn for the metals? Well, the reason to watch those two stocks, aside from their huge size, uh, is that they do they were the poster child stocks of the collapsing metals markets. Uh, uh-huh. You know, it, it, gold miners as well, but these two in particular are huge companies. Uh, great impact. And, and their stocks just keep collapsing and collapsing over the last few years. In June, I did a report on them just to see if there was a potential. They were trying to bottom at that point. There was a you know horizontal price action and so forth. And I said, nah, nah, they're not ready. And they broke hard since uh, June, another leg down. But now the action in both stocks, especially momentum, not so much evident on price because price usually does not tip you off until you know it's come up out of the hole. But the momentum action clearly states to me, not nah, we're in bottoming posture now. Now they're not broken out. I wouldn't buy them right now, but not far above each market. Uh, I mean, they're in the mid to upper 30s each dollar price. Uh, just above 40, basically. Both of them engage some stuff that looks really good if it happens this quarter, if they close a month up there. Next quarter, which might be more opportune time, the same breakout number drops into the like, 38 level. So basically, if they just stand still between now and first quarter of next year, they're in a position to break out. And they look like once they break out, they could be bottle rocket uh, situations, uh, meaning that they've been beat up so badly, so far off the page, that markets like that uh, get overshot on the downside, much like uh, blow-off markets do on the upside. So the first turn is often you know, a void because you're sold out. Um, and therefore, I think if those poster children of the, quote, deflationary collapse in commodities are ready to turn, uh, that says something. Uh, what sets so, these things off, Michael? Sometimes a short selling or what? Well, usually now, obviously in the tail end of a bear market, the shorts are all over the thing because that's, mm-hmm. you know, the, the trend is your friend. And, and just mm-hmm. like on the upside, the longs are deeply entrenched near tops. And the same on the downside. Uh, you know, the shorts, just like the longs on the upside, think it's going to go forever. Well, it isn't unless they're going out of business, which is highly unlikely. Uh, so the... The turn is largely sponsored by short covering and and the absence of sellers. So when the shorts go in to buy, there's no ready offers. Why? Because everybody who wanted to sell it is already sold. 
Yeah. So that's why yeah. you end up with these phenomenon of like a beach ball coming up out of the water. You need to push it under the water and then let go of it. Whoosh, you know. Um, so I'm watching those, uh, not so much to participate in them, but it's just a good solid clue that the popular deflation and commodity trend that everybody's so obsessed with is really wrapping itself up. Most commodities got beat up well before oil did and uh, have paid their dues, have showed evident basing action or upturns. Uh, and the laggards like oil and, and these steel producers, iron ore producers, uh, uh, they're laggards. And so when they turn, I think it's sort of like the, those are the last guys. And it will be a, a very solid sign that, okay, that argument, that case of the deflationary scenario for commodities is ending. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean there won't be deflation, but I don't think it's going to be in commodities anymore. Mm-hmm. I suspect well, it's going to shift to the equity markets. Well, we've certainly had massive uh, price declines in, in oil and in the metals, for sure, as you, as you point out. And uh, uh, it uh, does seem to be some bottoming there, looking at your charts and, and others that I've looked at. Do you have broader implications for this, Michael, in terms of what it might mean for some of the other markets? Well, I, I think it's a, a, an asset class shift on the part of the investor. Uh, investors are, they're not fickle. They tend to get married to something for a while, but they never get married to a market for more than, oh, four, five, six years. And then there's a, a change. And uh, usually the smart money, you know, leaves the upside in a market that it's too long and the, in the tooth starts to wobble around. The smart money starts to evacuate. Market starts to crumble. Then more and more people leave. Well, they go somewhere else. And certainly the central banks have provided plenty of liquidity and it went into the equity markets uh, for the last several years, but that liquidity can easily shift over to the commodities. Once commodities are perceived by first by the smart money as, one, having ceased to, do, to in their decline, and two, as having based and turned up. Uh, the public won't recognize that, and the most asset managers won't until probably well after the low. But this has happened many times in the last 30 years, as you and I know. Uh, you know, it happened in the 70s, it happened in 2000, it happened, you know, many pivotal yeah. times when public perception of cheapness and expensiveness uh, changed. And when it changes, it changes for several years. It doesn't change for a few weeks. So this yeah, is and, uh, yeah, and and the good thing is that you're uh, you seem to be able to get out ahead and pr- anticipate these turns well in advance of them happening, and and just like you said today, don't go buy these things yet, but get ready and keep an eye on them. And when they break through, that's what I love about your service. It uh, mm-hmm. gives a good a good heads up. With just about two minutes left, Michael, let me ask you. Normally, when we think in terms of higher metals prices, higher commodity prices, we're thinking of a weaker dollar. What are you seeing in the dollar now? Are you are you seeing a possible turn there as well? Yes, I, I, I think I am. It's uh, the, First of the, the context, uh, MSA forecasted a big bull trend in the dollar back in 2011 and 12, and actually forecasted that we would reach 100 on the mm-hmm. dollar index. It reached 100 in March of this year, 100.30 something. It is now in the 95, 94 level. Uh, I think if you drop back to 93, we've had a low for the year, around just below 93. This is, again, the cash dollar index, which is trade mm-hmm. rated as the euro and the yen. If you go back to 93 again, and we've been in the high 93s last week, I think, um, if, if you touch 93 again, I think you're in trouble, and I think the dollar could slip under 90, go back into the 80s. It's about as far as I could see right now. But in my opinion, if that happens, you've seen the high. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to fall apart in the dollar, but it means that high at 100 was it. Circle it. Uh, and the dollar will then join the other currencies, because I think our central bank realizes that, that uh, one game they've not played, they played the QE to the hilt, is the foreign exchange game. 
let's get our currency down to help our industrial companies. Well, mm-hmm. they've not focused on the dollar, and I think in the last Fed minutes, I've seen some online type uh, data points that show that the mention of the dollar in recent Fed minutes has gone off the page. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's so much chatting about the dollar in the Fed minutes. I think they're turning attention to that instrument, that, that right. issue of getting the dollar down to help, quote, the manufacturing companies, which are yeah. really mm-hmm. weak. You know. Yeah, the multinationals are big, and they're, they're being hurt. Well, we're, my engineer is telling us we're, we're basically out of time here, Michael. I want to thank you very much for being with us again. And, focus, folks, it's MSA. Uh, it's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA, to follow Michael's work and to learn how you can partake of it. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you, Jay. For being Bye-bye. with us again and look forward to it next week. Well, that's uh, all the time we have. Uh, we do uh, going to be talking to Roy Sabag as soon as we come back from break. Don't You won't want to miss what Roy has to say of BitGold, gold money and BitGold, an exciting uh, new company that's being developed and, and growing very rapidly. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Roy Sabag. Calinex is a junior with major near-term catalysts. This tightly held company is advancing its projects containing copper, zinc, gold, and silver in Manitoba, Canada. Calinex's projects are within 10 miles to Hud Bay's mine that has less than five years of ore. Calinex has high-grade deposits and new targets with exciting discovery potential, with drill results anticipated shortly. Now is the time to learn more about Calinex by visiting calinex.ca. That's C-A-L-L-I-N-E-X dot C-A. Calinex is publicly traded under the symbols CNX in Canada and CLLXF in the U.S. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Roy Sabag. He's the founder of BitGold, which after acquiring James Turk's gold money, now assumes the name Gold Money, Inc. Well, personally, I'm really quite interested in this company for a couple of reasons. First, as a consumer, I like the idea of being able to use gold as a currency rather than fiat money because history shows us that fiat monies tend to lose their value uh, and their purchasing power over periods of time. But, but secondly, I also find this company of interest uh, as an investor because I think it has the potential to, uh, to, be, to become a very profitable business. At least that's the way I see it, and that's one of the reasons I, I've been watching it closely and wanted, to have, uh, and, and wanted to have Roy back on with me. So thanks for joining me again today, Roy. 
Thanks for having me, Jay. Always, uh, always good to catch up with a new new business, uh, a young fellow like you who's starting out building. Uh, building something that looks like it has the potential to become something extraordinary. But just a, just a point of clarification, if I could. I, I just received my own BitGold prepaid MasterCard, uh, and it says BitGold on it. It doesn't say gold money. Are you going to continue using the name BitGold, uh, that brand, on your prepaid cards, or, or is it possible you might change it to gold money sometime in the future? Are there, are there plans in either direction? Yeah, it's actually a good question. Um, we've recently decided internally to use the gold money brand for all the um, traditional financial services products and then use the BitGold brand for all the online uh, you know, payment, kind of payment-focused products. And so kind of like when you have a bank account, but you might have an American Express card. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the new cards that will be coming out uh, in the next two weeks – um, and at that point, the program will be launched out of beta. It will now be uh, a fully live program. Any BitGold user will have a, a prepaid card uh, in one of three currencies, uh, and any gold money customer will have uh, the same card. And so both BitGold and gold money uh, customers will have the gold money uh, prepaid MasterCard. We're actually going to call it a gold money card. Um, but you'll have it within your BitGold account or if you're a gold money account holder within your gold money account. All right. Now, if you're a gold money account holder, can you can you transfer grams of gold from your gold money account to your to your BitGold or your prepaid card? You can transfer it into your prepaid card, but you won't at the moment, as as is presently envisioned. You will not. Uh, there won't be fluidity between uh, your gold money account and your BitGold account. We we see the two as separate separate companies at the moment, serving different types of individuals. Um, we see the BitGold product as being really self-directed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's for the self-directed investor. Um, you're not going to get the same level of customer service as you get in gold money. With gold money, you get a uh, unique uh, personal relationship manager. Um, and, and, and that's kind of one of the main differences. So it's more of a white glove service that you're getting with gold money. Uh, with BitGold, you're expected to learn how to use the platform um, and and just you know affect your own transactions mm-hmm. uh, and and secondly you know BitGold is really focused on the payments component online payments so you know, we want to attract a lot of merchants we want to attract people you know at the moment in time when they're making a purchase whereas gold money is more on the uh, investment um, investment use case you know you're accumulating gold but you can also have different currencies in your account you can have different precious metals and uh, and and hopefully. Um, you know, by next year, you'll be able to do some other things with your account as well. As in terms of the BitGold, the prepaid uh, BitGold card, is uh, is it now operational? I mean, are people using it? Are they buying things with it at this stage and the, during the, the beta period? Yes. Yeah, so basically, for the month of September, uh, the average person that had a prepaid card spent five hundred dollars on it. Oh. And we have uh, several thousand cards that were in the wild. And actually, you know, the, the card you have now, um, you know, basically uh, is, is going to be, um, you know, like a relic because uh, you're going to receive the new card. So you were actually very lucky to get one of these beta cards. Oh. Um, but, yeah, we're, you know, all this, all this concept of, of Gresham's Law and people not wanting to use gold. And, you know, I, I don't want to seem combative on this subject, but 
it, it's just the way my mind is wired. Uh, whenever someone brings this up, it just I seem to have a completely different view on it. That mm-hmm. you know, essentially, if you understand that gold is always going to appreciate versus fiat currencies, and you want to maintain maximum exposure to gold. Mm-hmm. then our technology is not causing you to somehow reduce that exposure. Our technology is enabling you to always maximize that exposure by only spending fiat at the, at the point at which you need to spend the fiat. Mm-hmm. So, so instead of having a current account at Bank of America with, with floating, you know, a floating balance that you'll debit throughout the course of the month or the year, you can have an account denominated in gold that you convert to fiat when you need it, when you go to the grocery store, when you need to make a, a rent payment. And, you know, as you know, as gold compounds, keeping your base of savings in gold and spending, you know, whatever you need in fiat will generate a massive internal retain, r- rate of return. Um, if we just take like the last few weeks as an example, um, you know, Gold appreciates three, four, five percent. Yeah. Um, you know, at, at today's interest rates, that's like fifteen years of interest. You know, in a, <laughs> in a few in a few weeks. Yeah. You know, and so people, um, nobody is thinking about. Oh no, now it's going to cost me one percent to convert the amount of gold that I need to spend into fiat. Um, when gold is appreciating three, four, five percent a week, sometimes. Um, and again, as a business case, you must take a step back. And, and view the world as a whole and the various currencies that are out there affecting billions and billions of people. Um, but, you know, for an American uh, or for a Canadian or for someone living in Europe or in the UK, in the last 30 or 40 days, you can clearly see why you would want to have a Bitgold account. You know, you have your savings denominated in gold. You're maintaining maximum exposure to gold once you understand the core concepts of why gold rises versus fiat currencies, and you're only you're only exposing yourself to your local fiat currency when you need to, mm-hmm. and 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 thus you're increasing your surplus over time, your savings. Yes, of course, over time. But there could be periods of time. There are periods of time when they could actually work against you. But I think. What you demonstrated in the first time we talked, you gave an example over a long period of time where I think it was your assistant's secretary who had uh, hypothetically, I guess, looked back and put her uh, put, put her salary in that gold money account over time or in that bit gold account over time and, and came out way ahead. So, I mean, it's at any given time, it can work against you, but over long periods of time, uh, well, it well, works I have something. Favorite. I have something else to say on that point, though. Uh-huh. Uh, if if you believe that you're smart enough as an investor to time gold over your lifetime <laughs> uh, and think that any time that you're converting your surplus of fiat to gold, uh, you know you're smarter than the market, then I have news for you. You know you're you're not. Yeah. <laughs> and so gold should not be viewed as an investment product that you time. It doesn't have a price to earnings ratio. It can't mm-hmm. be modeled. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, there are ways to to think that you can model it, or there are ways to. Um, analyze the causality that would affect the prices of gold, and we've actually done that recently. But but gold is simply money, and so what you should be doing with gold once you have 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 graduated uh, through the the educational process is you should be always maintaining maximum exposure to it within your pyramid of wealth, um, and and basically it, it's that sliver of wealth at the bottom of the pyramid. Mm-hmm. And, 
And so if you understand the core concepts and you understand that you're always accumulating metal you know, mm-hmm. every, every week, every month, you know, what you want to do is you want to be in the position where you are literally accumulating metal uh, simultaneously as you are earning your, your, your salary for your labor, or your goods, or your services. Mm-hmm. And so you want to reduce that friction. You, know, you don't want to have to go from exerting your time and your energy and then, and then being paid in fiat and then having to kind of hold on to that fiat and then consume. You want to go from exerting your energy, accumulating gold, maintaining exposure to gold, and then converting to fiat as you need to consume. And I think that this is the closest thing you can get to a personal gold standard that is, by the way, 100% legal. Yeah. Yes, I, I appreciate that. Uh, you've you've definitely have structured it in this way, and and it was one of the questions I wanted you to uh, to answer because you said there were two basic criteria that you needed to to meet in order to do this legally. One was to know your customer, uh, as a bank would need to know it, uh, to know your customer, and the other was to be able to account for the profit or loss in gold to report to the IRS. Do I have that right? That is correct. And so you've been able to program that, and it's it's fabulous. It's it's very interesting to me because when you think about it, millions of transactions uh, taking place at a time with gold prices fluctuating every moment by moment, to be able to grab to grab that profit or loss on the on the underlying grams of gold is is remarkable. But uh, you're able to do that, and then you'll re- provide a report to the uh, to your clients, I guess, and uh, that they can then pass on to the IRS. Yeah, you essentially have a transaction, a consolidated transaction list with every transaction line item that you've made throughout the course of the year, the time at which you made the transaction, the price of gold in your local tax currency, which you select, and then all you need to do is figure out whether you had a net gain or a net loss. Mm-hmm. And you take that net gain or net loss number, and then it's your job to decide if that was a short-term gain or a long-term gain. Um, but the, the you know in terms of the U.S. tax code, those gains are viewed as capital gains. Sure. And so they will need to be taxed. Um, but philosophically, uh, I, I I believe those gains should be viewed uh, no differently than than interest. You mm-hmm. know, you're earning interest on your gold balance. Um, that's essentially what's what's happening because you're you're only generating a gain if your fiat currency lost value. In other words, you're generating a gain because you avoided the loss you would have had had you stayed in fiat. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk a little bit about how people can go about uh, participating with BitGold um, and the prepaid card, which I have. I I know that um, I have a certain number of grams in in my BitGold account, which I can then either transfer into my bank account or I can transfer onto my prepaid card. Is that right? That is correct. You can also send that gold to any other BitGold user uh, if you do not live in the United States. Oh, if you live in the United States, you cannot use that at this point in time. I could not. not so, so as a, a newsletter writer, I could not accept subscribers' uh, subscription in, income uh, into my BitGold account, I guess, at this point in time. At this point in time, not yet. Okay. All right. And is there some possibility that that will be, uh, that will be doable in the future? Yeah, we've probably spent about, um, I'd say we've probably spent close to $2 million dollars uh, investigating that issue just uh-huh. because we are very careful about what we do. Um, we've hired three different law firms and we are now very comfortable with the legal framework of uh-huh. how we're going to uh, enable payments in the U.S. 
and unfortunately, um, that will require a very arduous registration process for us. Oh, okay. Um, but we fully intend on uh, initiating that very shortly, and I, I am pretty confident that you know six months from now um, you will be uh, able to accept payments um, from your subscribers in gold. Uh, and not only that, but actually process credit cards uh, such as Visa and MasterCard for only, for only 1%. Whoa, that that would be big. I, I mean, my wife hears this; she'll really be happy because she takes care of the accounting uh, for our for our merchant account, and they really do um, sink their hooks into us for that. Uh, well, well, remember, Jay, that is the crux of the business case here. You know, and 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 that service will be live a lot sooner for anyone other than U.S. citizens. Um, but the the whole concept of Bitgold is to, to be outside the banking system, not mm-hmm. the regulatory system. Okay. To, to leverage gold's attributes, the fact that it can be stored inexpensively, yet retains its value in between transactions, that once you digitize gold and allow it to flow freely between different people and integrate that gold ledger into the existing financial system, you can lower friction and lower costs. And so the example I just gave you, um, you know, if you were not a U.S. citizen you could, with your Bitgold account, indirectly accept credit cards. Because mm-hmm. if you think about it, and this is exactly how PayPal was yes. built, um, a user will open a Bitgold account, load their account with a credit card, and then send the gold to you for free. You immediately cash that gold out. Right? Mm-hmm. Let's say you want zero exposure to gold. In fact, sure. we're about to un- uh, unveil an automatic redemption um, oh. uh, system where you can basically set your vault... Uh, the percentage of your vault to be redeemed to fiat instantly upon mm-hmm. receipt. Mm-hmm. And it could redeem the fiat to your card or to your bank account. Mm-hmm. So you're never really exposed to the gold price uh, if you're concerned about that. Some people mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but remember, that's what we need to do as well to encourage massive mass adoption. We need mm-hmm. to show that gold isn't um, just a currency, uh, but is a bridge that lowers transaction costs between currencies. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, the use case I just highlighted allows you to process a credit card for 1% because you'd only be charged 1% when you redeemed the metal back to your fiat currency. Uh, if you actually kept the metal, and I, and I have a feeling in your case you would, um, you wouldn't pay anything. Mm-hmm. You know, the, and, and until what, you sell it, until you exchange it for, for fiat. Correct. Now, the person that would have paid is the purchaser, but, but one of the features that we're unveiling as well is if you're a merchant, when you send an invoice or when you launch a checkout button, you can pay for the cost of purchasing the gold on the purchaser side. Mm. So, you're, so in that case, you would pay 2%, Jay, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If, you, if you redeemed a fiat and only 1% if you stayed in gold. But to the purchaser, and this is the key, the purchaser, it's just an online shopping experience. Wow. They, they go yeah. through a, an accelerated sign-up process to BitGold, and upon completion of the sign-up, within three minutes, they simply enter their credit card information, complete the purchase of your goods or services, and the transaction's complete. And now, now we've acquired another user as well. So that is really the final stage of the ecosystem that we're going to be unveiling and why we brought on um, you know, Daryl McMullen from PayPal, mm-hmm. because he knows how to build these ecosystems. And you know, I, I'll be the first to admit things are, are moving a little bit slower uh, now than they were, um, you know, when I was the only one running the business and, and <laughs> products. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're, they're moving a lot more methodically. Sure. But I think the quality 
uh, is much better. And, and more importantly, you know, the, the work we're doing now will allow us to scale a lot quicker. Um, you know, once we hit these network effects, um, that that we can start to see develop. So you've added a PayPal, an ex PayPal executive. I think he was PayPal Canada. Is that right? Yeah, he was managing director of PayPal Canada. So essentially, the CEO of PayPal Canada. Can you compare your business model to PayPal? Can you tell us how it's alike and how it's how it's different, and what advantages or disadvantages you might have? I think right now every indicator is showing us that this can be just like PayPal. Um, we are seeing people adopt the payments. We are seeing people adopt the savings. Uh, sorry, in, in that case, PayPal doesn't have the savings cone. You know, the savings business that we have is very similar to like an ING bank. Mm-hmm. You know, when ING uh, rolled out um, direct savings plans and mm-hmm. call and open accounts and, you know, but we're building these savings relationships with a global population. And in that mm-hmm. case, we're very unique. You know, people generally use PayPal for payments and then settle out. No one really likes to hold balances of PayPal. Um, but on, on the PayPal and the velocity piece, we're, every indicator we're seeing is showing us that people are going to use this for payments. Um, they, they see the utility instantly. Um, payment volumes continue to grow. The debit card product in and of itself can be a massive business as well. We think we can be uh, one of the largest issuers of prepaid cards uh, in the world, because unlike um, traditional issuers, we're not uh, you know we're not fixed to one specific currency, one specific fiat currency. We're you know using gold with a superimposed currency value, and then issuing cards on a global basis and letting the user decide when they want to convert that gold uh, into the settlement currency. And so is, very, there's very interesting use cases, and there are very interesting concepts that I think are really revolutionary to the financial service business. Um, and again, it's, it's just incredible to me as someone that spent uh, my entire career studying gold, that the solution to all these problems was, was gold. You know, it was <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it combined with the technology that's available now, of course. Yeah. The platform. We need, we, we needed Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, I think, to show us that there was, A, a desire um, on the part of the citizenry to use something like this, and B, that there, were, there was enough innovation um, in, in the technology ecosystem to pull something like this off. Mm-hmm. You, know, you couldn't have built a bit gold in 1995 or in 2000. Or, you needed cloud-based computing to have reached critical mass. Mm-hmm. You needed all the KYC, the Know Your Customer, and the AML technologies to be where they are today, where you can essentially instantly know if someone's a terrorist or if someone's on a sanctions list or if someone's ID is real or if someone's ID is fake. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you needed all these things. You needed someone to have a handheld device so that they could, uh, instead of having to go to a physical branch and open an account, um, you know, go through the same process uh, you know, through the palm of their hand. Um, so I think that, but, but ultimately, you know, it's really gold. Gold is what's so special because ultimately if gold didn't have the attributes that it, that it does, that Mm -hmm. it has, um, and it wasn't the only thing that is outside the banking system, counterparty, uh, risk-free, uh, maintains its, its value in between transactions, uh, and is so inexpensive to store over long periods of time. Uh, you really couldn't do this with anything else. 
which uh, brings me to the question of silver. Uh, I guess that would be one of the one of the impediments to using silver, like you use gold, because it's a lot more expensive to to store. Yeah, if you try to do this with silver, um, you'd be paying uh, generally eight to ten times the storage costs. And in our case, when we looked at the business model, we decided to underwrite the storage cost um, and eat it. Mm-hmm. And so we would be unable to do that with silver. Uh, you know, our goal is to really show that in a zero interest rate environment, and, and I personally am starting to believe that we may never see uh, higher interest rates. Me too. Um, yeah, I mean, and I talked about this last night with someone, but I said, you know, w- the, the central banks really had us all convinced that they they were successful and that um, maybe maybe the experimentation started to work. Uh, and then we saw the rotation in assets in August following the Remnimbi devaluation, uh, leading to extreme volatility, which scared the Fed and now appears to have um, led to a massive economic contraction in the U.S., mm-hmm. and now they're unable to raise rates. And I think that you know, even the most um, arrogant of economists and market participants uh, have kind of taken a step back and thought, well, maybe um, you know, we may never see interest rates rise again. And you know, I always like to think about these things in, in, in sort of like parables, like stories. And mm-hmm. you know, it's not inconceivable that you... You know, you tell your kids, or I'll be telling my kids in 20 or 30 years, you know, son, there used to be this thing called an interest rate. (laughs) And uh, you used to go and you'd you'd earn your money and you'd give it to the bank and the bank would give you 5% a year. And uh, and I think that's that's what might be happening here is we're seeing the concept of interest disappearing. well, it's, it's really hard to to see how they can raise rates now, that's for sure. But I want to ask you this, this Gershom's Law uh, idea that, uh, what is it, good money ch- drives out bad, or no, bad money drives out good. Which way is it? Good money drives out bad. Right. So why would I pay, and this is, I think, maybe a, a, a problem that us gold bugs have, uh, and, and I'm just thinking that maybe it's less of a problem, because this is... I mean, you you need to educate people about the concepts you're talking about, about why it makes sense to uh, to, to keep gold grams in your account and use them as you need to, uh, because your purchasing power tends to gain over time. Whereas, you know, guys like me used to look at this as well. No, I'm not going to use my gold. I'm going to use these cheap uh, cheapening dollars to to buy things. So, I'm just wondering, are you finding it pretty easy to get this concept across to people? No, I don't. I don't think it's easy for for the gold bug community because I feel like they just heard this word Gresham's law and they treat yeah. it like it's like this, you know, Newton's law of thermodynamics yeah. or something. When I I don't think it is at all. Right. Well, well, but, that's that's my point, Roy. So I, I think it it might be more difficult to sell this this well, story to gold bugs than it is to other people. Well, but let me get back to your, the point you just made. Now, you, you said something. You said. I would rather hold on to my gold and spend mm-hmm. my fiat. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's the way I've always thought. Yeah. Okay, well, but I'm letting you do that now. Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. So right now when you're spending your fiat, you must maintain a float of fiat. So all things being equal, what you're saying is, Roy, I don't want any fiat exposure. Mm-hmm. I want to maximize my gold exposure. Yeah. Isn't that essentially what you're saying? Yeah, I, I guess that's right. I guess okay. that's right. But in the real world, we have to have the fiat because they don't accept the, the gold. So, but but you've made it possible now with Correct. your technology to, to essentially do that, to, to use gold. Yeah. So No, no but yeah. what, I, what my technology does is just allow you to maximize that exposure to gold mm-hmm. until the point at which you need to use the fiat. 
Mm-hmm. So this this has nothing to do with Gresham's law. The 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 concept of Gresham's law is people are going are going to use bit gold to basically somehow buy gold and then immediately spend it and lose ownership of the gold. And I don't think that's anyone in their right mind is is going, is planning on doing that. I think that the big gold economic system, the the system that develops around big gold, global commerce, etc., is cannibalizing or seceding economic activity from fiat. But you, as an individual that understands gold and and understands the core concepts of Gresham's law, you're not you know you have a big gold account. And say you had ten thousand dollars in your Bank of America checking account. We'll just mm-hmm. keep that ten thousand in gold, mm-hmm. and throughout the course of the month, if you spend I don't know three thousand dollars a month, you know, spend down that three thousand every day. At that moment, converting the gold weight into currency into fiat, and then at that, and then over time, that ten thousand will be worth you know twelve thousand, and so you gained a free two thousand dollars or whatever. And and again, I think most people. That are in this position have a lot more fiat than they're willing to admit, mm-hmm. and and that's the other problem is that the psychology uh, around I think the gold bug community is such that you know you'll have an allocation to gold, but that allocation to gold will re-rate or revalue upon some event by ten or twenty times, and it, it may be the case I think that gold doesn't revalue ten or twenty times it revalues two or three times, mm-hmm. and so if you had fifty percent of your wealth. In, in fiat liquidity, uh, and you only had five or ten percent of your wealth in in physical gold or, or gold, um, the the re-rating of gold didn't really do that much for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah. I think that uh, the Weimar Republic is instructive in this case, where you know yeah. securities and equities did do okay, yeah. um, and and it was just the currency that got eroded very rapidly. And so the way I live my life personally is. I have an investment portfolio. I like to invest um, in securities, and I have fixed income, and I have equities. And then, but I don't have any cash. I actually don't believe in having any checking cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've shown this to a few people. Like some people don't believe me. So I keep all my checking cash in big gold. Mm-hmm. And then, as I need to spend the fiat, I spend the gold down. Mm-hmm. Now. I have U.S. dollars in my portfolio, but I have it in the form of treasury bills. Sure. Because why would I want to own a Federal Reserve bank note which ranks uh, junior to a T-bill? Yes. You know, yes. you know, the T-bill is backed by the full faith and credit of the United States. Sure, the, the printing the press. Bank, yeah. Correct. The bank note is, is, just, is just guaranteed by the Federal Reserve. It's not the same. And so if you understand those core concepts... You know, again, I have a very large amount of U.S. dollar exposure because I think it's 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 the best fiat currency today mm-hmm. out of the lot. But I don't own it in my checking account. My checking account is fully denominated in gold, and I think that that is the kind of. So again, I believe that 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 use case that I just presented will eventually be the way of the world in the next decade. Decade mm-hmm. for for the emerging markets for sure. Um, but I also believe that we're going to create a movement around that, uh, even in North America and Western Europe, because people can see it. You know, gold's up five, ten, fifteen percent in the majority of global currencies this year. Mm-hmm. And so, had you just done this, you know, yeah. it, it's it's like you're living in 1970 interest rates. Mm-hmm. You know, because you have a gold account, oh, good gold point. savings account. Yeah. Well, Roy, we only have a couple of minutes left here, and I have tons and tons more questions to ask you. Um, you you have a public company now, 
You come out with some statistics. I, I'd like you to per, perhaps just talk a little bit about some of the uh, operational statistics that um, I'm looking for them here. I don't have them in front of me right now. Uh, in terms of your, um, in terms of the number of new people that have signed up, and in terms of transaction volume, could you? That, that seems to be growing, going very well, uh, growing very rapidly. Um, how? How far and how how many you know how big do you have to get before you start earning money? Or maybe you're not that interested in earning money in the near term. You're looking to build a business and scale it up uh, longer term. So maybe as investors, we we shouldn't be expecting profits in the near term. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that what we're seeing is we're seeing we're in the we're in the early stages of trying to figure out what this business is mm-hmm. and so the good news is that we can clearly see that this isn't a uh, niche business and and many people would have thought that it was and so this is clearly uh, a business that can scale to millions and millions of users I, I think it could scale to tens of millions of users mm-hmm. because again gold's attributes and the way mm-hmm. that people find utility using gold I think that we're also demonstrating that we know how to acquire these customer relationships for a five-month-old company at a very low cost. Um, you know, we're acquiring users in some cases for as little as four dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a bank in 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 the modern era is generally willing to spend as much as five, six, seven, a thousand dollars per customer relationship because these customer relationships last for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Once a customer begins to trust you. Uh, you become part of their overall savings activity. And at that point, there are many ways to pull on many levers and monetize. Now, that being said, we generate revenue every day. You know, the group itself generates revenue through its two separate businesses, gold money, which produces cash flow um, and is asymmetrically levered to a rising gold price. So the, mm-hmm. the more gold does better, um, the better gold does, the more money uh, gold money makes. And mm-hmm. gold money earned 20 million pounds uh, in 2011. And that's mm-hmm. about you know, 30, 31 million US dollars in one mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. So that just kind of gives you, an, an, in my view, kind of the asymmetry that gold money has. Bitgold earns money every day. You mm-hmm. know, we're not earning a lot, but every transaction on the platform uh, results in a 1% uh, profit which which is essentially revenue for Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and so um, it's very obvious. You know, it's very clear to us as as the architects of the business that the machine um, generates a really good return because it's a piece of software and it can scale to <laughs> millions and millions of users. You know, if we ha- imagine we had a bank and uh, to build, served- yeah, you had yeah. to build branches. We had to build branches. We had to service these customers. You remember how earlier I explained the differences between Bitgold and gold money? You know, Bitgold could hire hundreds and hundreds of customer service reps, but that would eat into our margin. Mm-hmm. So we create a piece of software that's self-directed that someone can use in the same way they use their email or the same way they use um, you know, their E-Trade account or their TD Ameritrade account. And the result is that... Um, you can have this piece of software run by a company with maybe 30, 40 people servicing hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. And so uh, your costs are, are de minimis. Uh, I think that we are definitely focused on growing. Uh, and I think that you know this is something that has been, um, I think, further affirmed by Daryl since he joined, since mm-hmm. he's gone through. You know, Daryl went through a scenario with PayPal where he launched the business 
with zero customers and saw it grow to 6 million customers in Canada and $300 million in revenues in Canada. And so when he sees our metrics and he sees our stats every day, he says, you know, this is unheard of. Like the kind of stuff we're seeing, you know, Jay, just the concept that the last reported number we we had was $12 million, Mm -hmm. which was the gold that was deposited uh, within the vaults. And Mm -hmm. the number is obviously much higher now, uh, but I can't report it. Um, But, you know, just the concept that, that people would send $12 million electronically to a brand new company mm-hmm. um, that, that didn't exist six months ago, mm-hmm. I think it's pretty crazy. Uh, and, and I don't think that I would have ever sent uh, that much money. You know, when I see some of these accounts at Big Gold, I don't think I myself, at this stage of the company's development, would have trusted the company enough. Well, and let so, me, uh, yeah, go ahead. And so what that tells me is that these customer relationships have much greater purchasing power that has been currently manifested. And we see it. Uh, you know, I'll give you another very quick anecdote, but we, we generally see four to 500 daily transactions um, in the last week. Uh, two weeks ago, it was probably 300 to 400. Of the four to 500, 70% are recurring and 30% oh. are first time. Uh-huh. So, so 70% are people that opened accounts in the last five months coming back to make their second purchase mm. or their third purchase or their mm-hmm. redemption or their payment. Mm-hmm. And so it's very obvious that we are creating a network effect. It's very obvious that this can scale. And we're going to find out how big this thing can get because we're sitting on a tremendous amount of cash. We're not burning cash. We're very prudent about our capital allocation. You know, We're maybe burning around half a million dollars a month as a group, uh, and we're sitting on close to $34, $35 million in cash. And so there's no scenario where one, two, three, four years from now, uh, we don't have capital. And most likely at that point, we will know for sure whether this is a PayPal, uh, you know, 170 million customer thing or a net teller, which is a 3 billion pound company that services 20 million customers um, or, or something much smaller. You know, or or maybe something much bigger. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly it just from what I can see, it seems to me they have every advantage that PayPal has, and then some more beyond what PayPal has, it's just by the virtue of using gold uh, as a currency. So, it's it's a really a fabulous uh, story, and I I might just mention to my listeners that uh, I think it might not be so much of a mystery as to why people are trusting. Uh, gold money because you have quite a, a, a solid group of backers behind you. Might I just ask you to, to tell our listeners, those that might not be familiar with your story, who some of the investors are uh, in uh, in your company? Yeah, sure. Um, so one of the first and early backers uh, of the company um, was uh, George Soros through his family office with Soros Brothers Investments. Uh, run by Alex and Greg Soros, who are friends of mine. Um, the next group of backers uh, were Eric Sprott, um, Albert Friedberg, who runs a global macro fund called Friedberg Mercantile Group, and who had a, a, a very big personal effect on me um, when I was learning a lot about gold and trying mm-hmm. to understand the concepts. Um, we've had four investment banks uh, underwrite our, our financings, our private financing and, and our public financings, which is extremely rare for such a small company. Um, Canaccord, uh, Genuity Corp, uh, GMP. Um, Gene McBurney, the founder of GMP, is a, is a friend of mine and also uh, an investor in the company. 
Uh, Dundee Corp, led by Ned Goodman, uh, is also an investor and one of our early underwriters and backers. Uh, and Claris, which is a boutique firm in Toronto as well. Uh, in addition to that, we've had um, very large institutions, uh, which I can't name mm-hmm. uh, unless they show up on the ledger, which I'm sure they will soon, participate uh, in some of our last rounds uh, and also buying uh, shares in the market. Once we consummated the merger with gold money, we inherited an even uh, more impressive uh, cadre of investors, James Turk and the Turk family, Adam Fleming and his son Hector, uh, who run uh, Fleming Stonehenge uh, and um, you know uh, Mahendra Naik and the I Am Gold Group, mm-hmm. uh, Joe Tice from the Prudent Bear Fund, um, and several others, which I'm sure uh, at this point I may even be forgetting. Yeah. But we we really have a, a core group of investors that understands gold, uh, that understands the value of this technology, and that have very deep pockets. You know, all of us. Uh, are committed to the cause and committed to investing more capital if needed as well. And all of those people would have done their due diligence and studied the business model very carefully before they put their money in there, I would dare say, uh, given the names that you're talking about. Well, we really are out of time. What might investors look for, um, the investors now, look for in terms of drivers for, for the share price for the company? Just, just more uh, growth? Is that what we're looking for? I, I truly feel that the three metrics we put out every month mm-hmm. uh, are the most important for the, for the future of this business and for assessing to an investor whether this is going to be um, you know, a Lollapalooza home run kind of story mm-hmm. or just a kind of a tepid uh, business. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think you should watch those. There's really, we, we can't run and hide from those numbers. You know, either yeah. we're growing every month or we're not. In addition to those numbers, though, we will, I think, be improving the reporting and adding some other things like how many debit cards are issued in the wild and mm-hmm. things like that which I think are, are another uh, another important indicator. Uh, yeah, I really I really believe that um, you know most companies that are experiencing the, gro- the growth we had would have first reached one or two million users and then went public. Uh-huh. And, and, and I get this a lot and you know for us going public was important because A, we didn't know that, that, that the world would respond this way to the service. We didn't know it was going to grow this fast. Mm-hmm. And we needed people to trust the brand, and we felt that going public was an important step in achieving that trust, you know, having an independent board and being fully transparent with financials. But because we also went public very early, the price discovery process for our shares is, I think, uh, a little bit more erratic than it needs to be currently. Mm -hmm. And I think that as we continue to show that we're growing and the numbers are stable and the access to capital is there and the capital allocation is being very prudent, people start to realize that, this is somewhat of an asymmetric, uh, you know, bet. There's there's sufficient backfill to the valuation on the gold money side. Uh, there's a lot of cash on the balance sheet, and there's this optionality on Bitcoin. We'll have to leave it go at that because uh, we're just simply out of time. I'm really sorry, Roy. We'll certainly want to get you back sometime in the near future. This is a very exciting story and uh, one that fits very well with the uh, in the context of this radio show. So I really do hope to have you back in the near future. Join me next Tuesday at the same time when John Rubino will be my main guest and hopefully Michael Oliver will join me as well. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at DynacorGold. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a diversified, low-cost producer with operations in Mexico and Canada. Avino is growth-oriented and recently completed a major expansion at its Mexican operation and is on pace to double output in 2015. Avino recently partnered with Samsung CNT and is now an official metal supplier to one of the world's largest manufacturers of consumer electronics and builder of some of the most prolific engineering projects worldwide. Avino's shares are listed on the NYSE market and the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ASM. If you want a silver lining in your portfolio, think of Eno. 